Our reading today will be out of Psalm chapter 78, verses 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide from them. Uh, we will not hide them from their children. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children and uh, that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise to tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. You may be seated. Testing. There we go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of um, being able to gather and worship you, um, not only through song, but through the teaching of your word. We thank you for the gift of your word, the commandments that you have given us in your word. Um, as the passage says, help us not hide from it, but live in obedience to what we will learn today through your word. And not only live in obedience to it, but teach it to our children, um, that all may know that Jesus is Lord. In Christ's name, amen. We are uh, thankful to be before the Word of God today, and so if you've got your own copy of God's Word, you may want to follow along there. Uh, as Nathan just said, this is about what we are telling to the coming generation. And I, I hope you know that, like it or not, or not, you are telling something to the generation behind you. The generation behind you has, their, their eyes may seem little, but they are watching as parents, we know this more than we uh, like to admit. Kids pick up our habits, the good ones and the bad ones. They imitate us in small ways and big ways. And now that uh, my dad is back living, you know, I you know, used to live in my dad's house, and we separated by two states for a while. Now he's back here. I notice all the things I do that I'm still copying my dad, and it drives me bananas. But we have done that. We, we pick things up from our kids. What, what are you passing along to... Oh, we pick them up from our parents. Our, parents, our kids pick it up from us. What are you passing along to the next generation? Maybe it's a, a love for a certain sports team that your kids are just as devoted as you are to whatever your team may be. Maybe it's a, a love of a, ho of a hobby, something you're really interested in or a craft that you have. Maybe you've got a, a good sense of humor and you're passing that along to the next generation. Maybe there's a, a sense of hard work or a, a love of nature that you have and you can see it already in the children behind you and those uh, around you. Or, or maybe negatively you see the, some of the ways we pass along things that aren't so positive. Maybe we pass on a tendency to be lazy or overwork or overeat, or oversleep, or overuse something, or abuse substances, or whatever else it may be, we pass along things to those of younger than us and those around us. 
Maybe you're passing along a sense of negativity about the world or government, or maybe you're passing along a sense of optimism and hope. Or What, what are you passing along to the next generation? In, in light of our call to Nathan to be our first staff student pastor, I wanted to focus today on what we are passing on to the next generation. So in some ways, this sermon, Nathan, is just a charge to you. So nobody else has to listen to this. This is just to you. No, uh, of course, that what we teach to the next generation is not just one person's job. That is all of us. All of us have a responsibility and a calling and an opportunity to pass along the faith to the next generation. We want to do that and do that well. And so we believe as a church that this is one of the things that, that we feel called to and passionate about and want to do with excellence. We believe that our children are not just the future, they're our present. They are who we are part of the church now. And so if we are investing in our, our young adults, our students, our children, that is where we see God's heart and we see an important role for us to play as a church. We're making an impact on the, the younger generation one way or the other. We're telling them something. We are passing along intentional or not We're telling the next generation something. The question is, are we telling them what's most important? And are we telling them of what matters above all else? What are you going to pass on to the next generation as a church? And individually, Psalm 78 calls us to this. Proclaim God's glory to the next generation. Proclaim God's glory to the next generation. Psalm 78 verse 4, we will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders He has done. We will not hate our children to the point where we hide from them what is most important. We will love them well enough, Psalm 78 calls us to do, to tell them, proclaim to them the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the great things that God has done. The first couple verses of Psalm 78 may sound confusing. They talk about parables and dark sayings, but the point he's making is that we're bringing what's hidden to light. And especially as you go through this whole psalm, using the story, pointing to the story of God to help people bring to the light the good news, the truth, the glory of who God is. That's what we proclaim to the next generation. Proclaim God's glory. Tell the story of who God is to the next generation. I, I want to tell you right out the gate one major obstacle I see to this. Some, some people are pretty negative about, uh, I think this is every generation. You always look at the generation behind you, like kids these days, you know, right? <laughs> what, so we may look at the generation behind us and we say, you know, what are the obstacles? What are the things that are going to prevent them from, from knowing the good news uh, of the gospel and understanding who God is. What are the obstacles? Maybe we'll point to things like technology or social media or a sense of entitlement or, or the, the increasingly secular world or whatever educational agendas you may be concerned about. But I want to tell you what I think the biggest obstacle is to the next generation knowing and, and believing and trusting in our great God. You know what I think it is? Us. Because here's the thing, you cannot tell something you don't know. 
You cannot proclaim the glory of God to the next generation if you don't know and delight in and savor in that same glory. The biggest obstacle to us passing on to the next generation the glory of God is whether we know it and treasure it. If we don't love God, if we don't treasure God, then we'll have nothing to pass on. We'll have nothing to pass on to the next generation. The biggest hindrance, the biggest obstacle to the faith being passed to the next generation is us. Start with us. You can't teach something you don't know. Do you know the glory of our God? Psalm 78 proclaims the goodness, the glory, the might, the majesty, the wonder of God. Do you know the glory of God? Verse, in first, the first eight verses of Psalm 78 is all we're getting to today. I, I preached through this entire psalm, which is very long, uh, way back in 2020. But just to highlight the where the rest of this psalm goes is it tells, in part, the story of God's people leading up to King David. And that story, to know the story of God, is to proclaim His glory. So do you, do you know His story? Do you know His story? Do you know God's provision for His people time and time again? Do you know the story of God leading His people out of Egypt through the Red Sea on dry land, providing food and water for them in the desert of all places, and leading them into the promised land? Do you know His provision in the most crazy ways, like bringing water out of a rock? Do you know that's the nature of our God? Do you know the story of God and His people well enough to know that though God was gracious, His people, read you and me, continued to rebel time and time again and grumbled and complained every step along the way when things did not go like they intended and like they wanted them to go? God brought discipline, and He should, and He's wise, and any good loving Father would bring discipline, and He does that. And then Psalm 78 tells us, of God's abundant grace. Psalm 78, 38, Yet He, God, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained His anger often. I like that. <laughs> he restrained His anger often. Frequently, God had to hold Himself back. That's how gracious and compassionate He is. He did not stir up all His wrath. To know God's glory is to see His provision, our rebellion, and God choosing in His great grace not to destroy us at every step we take. That's the majesty of God, that He loves us enough to not treat us like we deserve to be treated. Praise God He does not give us what we deserve, but He has given us far better. That's Psalm 78's brief history. I gave you the very small version of telling the history of God's people, but you can zoom out throughout the Old Testament and find example upon example of God's glory on display. Moses was so interested in this at one point, he just asked God directly, God, show me your glory. I wonder if that's our heart. God, show me your glory. I want to pass this to the next generation, maybe you're praying, but I, I need to know it. Moses asked, God, show me your glory. God told him the danger of that, that if he saw God's glory and all, all that God is, it would, he wouldn't survive it. So God put Moses up in a, a cleft, up a little nook in a mountain, covered him up, walked by him, and then proclaimed his, his essence, the very core of his nature. What, what was he going to say? He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God, what? What's, what's he going to say? The very essence of who God is. If he's going to proclaim it in just a few lines to, to Moses, how is God himself going to describe God? 
The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Praise God for His steadfast love. I have a hard time being steady like one whole day. God is always steadfast, always rock solid. He is steadfast. And the thing that He continues to pour out steadfastly is His abundant mercy and grace. That line that God first said of Himself in Exodus 33 is repeated over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. People keep clinging back to this. This is the glory of God. He is merciful and gracious. He is kind. He is generous. He is compassionate. And in no greater way did He show that to us than as we turn the pages to the New Testament and we meet His own Son. Do you want to know the glory of God? Do you want to see the majesty of the Almighty? Look no further than the Son of God, God in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So I'm going to pause right there. Do you follow that phrase? God, who spoke light into, be, into being, He speaks light in a different way. He shows up in your heart and lets your heart see the light, and darkness flees. And what's the light? What does He shine into your life? What is the, the, the knowledge of the glory of God? You see it in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. That's what He shows into your heart. He shines light into our hearts, and we get to see Jesus. We get to know Jesus. We get to have a relationship with Jesus. We know Jesus face to face. That's the glory of God shining into your life. That's knowing God. Knowing God. Do you know the Lord? The psalmist in Psalm 78 said in, in verse 4, of the, he, he had a glimpse of the wonders. That's the word he uses. Wonders that the Lord has done. Now for us, this side of the New Testament, we know, that the one, we know the wonders of God because the second person of the Trinity, the eternally existent Son of God, took on flesh and dwelled with us. What great grace that He came. What wonder. The psalmist in Psalm 78 verse 4 said he had a glimpse of the glorious deeds of the Lord. But now this side of the New Testament, we know the glorious deeds of the Lord and that His mercy and His grace and His love and His justice took Him to the point where He was willing to go to the cross and to pay for our sins for eternity. He was willing to take the punishment we deserved in our place. He was willing to go where you and I deserve to go and take, the, take on the death we deserve to die. The psalmist in Psalm 78 verse 4 had a glimpse of the Lord's might. That's the word he uses, his might. But this side of the New Testament, we know all the more of the might of God because we have seen the empty tomb. That Christ did not just die, but he also resurrected. There is no greater power than that. There is no greater power than a resurrected king. The glorious deeds, the might, the wonder of our God, the glory of God is known in the face of Jesus Christ and what He has accomplished for us. Do you know the glory of God? Have you, have you experienced, have you dwelt in, have you delighted in His majesty and His wonder that God has poured this, Himself out so that you could know Him. Do you know 
the glory of God. Because if you don't know it, you can't proclaim it. Do you know the glory of God? But if you do know it, don't hide it from the kids. <laughs> don't hide it from the students. Proclaim it. Proclaim the glory of God. Proclaim God's glory to the next generation. Whatever else we're going to pass on, whatever else we want to teach them, we can't afford to miss this. We can't afford to not pass on teaching of the glory of God to the next generation. I hope and pray we pass on all kinds of really good, important things to our kids, right? I hope and pray that we can pass on some good financial skills. Kids, beware of credit cards. They're dangerous. Kids, here's, here's budgeting 101. Spend less than you make. That's budgeting 101. Pass that on to your kids. Kids, this is important. There is value in a well-cooked meal shared around a table with friends and family. That's a deep joy, a deep joy. Kids, learn to drive a stick shift. <laughs> you just never know when you might need it. Learn to play an instrument. I never did, but it looks cool. <laughs> learn to swing a baseball bat and shoot a basketball. There's all kinds of things we want to pass on to the next generation. But let me say this in all seriousness. If our kids go on to win the World Series, but they do not know the Lord, we've missed it. We've missed it. We can't afford to miss this. Pass along. Proclaim the glory of the Lord to the next generation. God has appointed this pattern for letting each successive generation come to see the glory of God. That pattern is that one generation tells the next. You recognize that, that it didn't have to be that way. God's God. He could have designed the world in such a way that He did everything from, from creation to the cross like He did, but then He could have said, now here's the plan. Every 20 or 30 years or so, I'm going to part the sky and I'm going to make a big loud announcement and say, this is what I have done for you, humanity. This is how I have created the world and worked to redeem a rebellious people. Let me tell you about my son and all that he's accomplished. And then the sky parted and, or went back together. And then everybody heard it and they knew it. And then 30 years later, he shows up again for everybody who wasn't old enough to understand. And he says the same thing. He could have done it that way. But he didn't. He told one generation to tell the next generation to tell the next generation. And this has been God's heart from the beginning. Deuteronomy 6 that we've looked at, I feel like, multiple times in the last few weeks. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The central truth, there's one God. What's the next thing he says? Verse 6 and 7. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. That's the pattern of God from the beginning. One generation telling the next generation. Apparently, that discipleship model of teaching the next generation is ingrained deep in the heart of God. Is it ingrained in ours? Do, do, we, do we care enough about our kids to, to organize our lives in such a way that we tell them this? Or are we busy telling them other things? Other things. We affirm with the Bible that parents are the primary disciple makers. Parents, this is Deuteronomy 6, 7, teach them diligently to your children. That's the pattern. Teach them to your children. Let me tell you, 
There's nothing more overwhelming as a parent than having that, is there? So let me just, let me just help you out. It's hard. But kids catch, and, they, and we, we teach them. And it's going to be caught and taught. You know what I'm trying to say. We, so oftentimes they are imitating our, the, the way we live. And it can be overwhelming to feel like, I, I've got to teach them every truth from the Bible. And I've got to teach. Start somewhere, right? Carve out the time. Find a way, weekly or so. Open the Word of God with your family. Start simple. Keep it simple. As parents, it can be really overwhelming. But just love our kids enough to make this fit into the pattern of our lives somewhere that we're teaching them the Word of God. Parents, it's our, your primary responsibility, but do not feel like you are alone. We are a family, after all, the family of God. That's what we are here for. Our culture has a much more individualistic approach to life than the cultures of the Bible. So when the first culture heard the command, you shall teach them diligently to your children, they probably did not just hear their own family. When we hear teach them diligently to your children, I should not just hear teach it diligently to Lois, Micah, Lydia, and for now, a little cute little kid named Knowledge, <laughs> right? I and we should hear it as I'm also supposed to teach it to, to Luke and to, to, to Neely and Maya and Oakley and to Perry and Brianna and to Hannah and um, Daniel. He's in college, took me a second there. And to Ellie and Simon and Selah and Macy and to Will Sander and to Griffin and to Izzy. We, we are, and Reed, don't leave your kid out. There we go. This is our family. We, we are a family together. We are called to pass this on to the next generation and to help one another do it. So the way we live out our faith before our kids, and I mean our kids, is how we are passing on the faith to the next generation. As a church, we want to help. We want to help you. It's, I, I think I'm emotional because it's just overwhelming at times. But we want to help. We want to help resource you. We want to help train you. We want to help be there for one another. Our role as a church is to supplement your teaching, to come alongside what you're already doing at home and help, help encourage you along the way. Let us, let us help you. Let us be a part of that together. We have some amazing teachers. They're doing it right now. Instead of being in here and just sitting, that you guys serve, so many of you are serving, teaching our kids. There's so many kids around here. So just staffing all of our classes is hard. So much so that we're having to hire somebody to help us do it. It's a great problem to have, but thank you for the way you are teaching. You are teaching the children here. You are proclaiming God's glory to the next generation, to our children, all of our children together. And I think there's a word here, especially for the role of the church. Our job is to supplement what's going on at home and to be there for the kids who don't have a home, to be there for the kids who aren't getting taught at home, for being there for the kids who aren't getting modeled Christian living. We are here to be the church to our family, to proclaim God's glory to the next generation. Now, that being said, there's one more part of Psalm 78 that just gripped me this week like no other. It struck me that we could follow God's word up to this point. We could personally know God, have a deep abiding relationship with him, and know it well enough to teach it and teach it diligently and yet still fail at the ultimate goal. Because the goal isn't just that we tell it, it's that they receive it right? 
And that's terrifying because it's out of our hands. It's terrifying because we can't make our kids receive it. You can't push enough buttons and go to enough church events and say all the right things and wave a wand and it just happens, right? So we can't make it happen, but it is, it's worth naming the goal. It's worth naming the purpose of all of this. You can know it deeply. You can teach it passionately and do all the right things. But we want to say, what is, what is the goal? What's the bar we're shooting for? Because my, my fear in, in just living in kind of the Bible Belt Christian kind of world we live in is that as parents, we set the bar too low. The bar sometimes we set for our kids and teenagers is that they're just good people, you know? We don't want them to be bad people, so it's not a bad thing to wish. But like, we want a little better bar than that, right? We, we, we say, okay, well, I want them to be in church. That's a good thing. I want them to, to know the Bible. That's a good thing. But what's the ultimate goal? What's the aim we're shooting for? Psalm 78 makes it pretty clear for us in a beautiful way. Psalm 78, into verse 6, into verse 7. Arise and tell them to their children. That's the commands and the declarations of God. So that, when you hear so that in the Bible, it's like a big flag. What's the purpose? Arise, tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God. There's the goal. There's the goal. It's more than just information. It's more than just knowing the Bible stories, reciting a few verses, being a, a good person. Our goal to the next generation is that they would hope in God. Proclaim God's glory to the next generation and call the next generation to hope in in God. We have a much higher goal than just transferring data, right? Our goal is at the heart level. Again, it's totally overwhelming because we can't do it. We can't change our kids' hearts, but God, God's Spirit can, and so we, we want to name. We want to name the goal and pray toward it and call them toward it, that they would set their hope in God. We pray for the next generation to rely on, trust in, depend upon the Lord. That's what we want, right? Much higher than just knowing the information. We want to proclaim the gospel to our kids, and we want to proclaim it in such a way that it sinks deep down in their souls, that it doesn't just stay in their heads, but it changes their affections and their desires and changes the way they live. Hope in God. That's the goal. Now that, that sounds good, but I, I really wanted to wrestle this week because hope, hope is, all, is one of these words like, like faith and joy and peace in the Bible that, you know, you say them and you nod along like, of course I know what that means, but it's a little like being an airplane flying through a cloud. Like, you know it's a cloud, but you can't, you know, define it. You can't put your hands on it. What is, what is hope? What is hope in God? I, I want to take hope and, and somehow make it into like a, a really cool car, toy car that you built out of Legos, something you get your hands on, you know? How do you do that? What is, what is hope in God? Can I put my, my hands on hope? I'm going to attempt that. Try to build some things and make it hope. How do you hold on to hope? Hope, simply enough, and I got some good help from Bible Project this week. They're such a good resource, but hope is about the future, right? It has this kind of future direction, future orientation. It's this feeling of anticip an anticipated future that's better than the present, more or less, right? That's hope. It, it's to, to live with hope is to believe there's still good to come. There's still something good out there, right? 
So maybe that's two of the, the pieces we'll say about hope. It's about the future and about good things. Maybe we'll just simply call it joy. So hope is the, the anticipation of future joy. There's two of the blocks we can name on hope, right? Okay, so then, of course, we could do that in big and small ways. Like you could say, you know, you could be hopeful or put your hope in the, the Braves to have a good season. What do we mean by that? You're a Braves fan. You're hoping they're going to have a good season. It means you're, you're hoping that they, the end of the season is going to pay off. You're going to get joy because they do well and maybe even go deep in the playoffs or win the World Series, right? That would be something you would hope for. Or if you made a, a financial investment and you're hopeful about that investment, you're hoping that later on you, you make money from that. You get a good return on it. I'm hopeful. There's something in the future, and there's good coming from it, joy that's coming from it. So we, we as people, compile all kinds of things, big and small, to say, this is why I have hope. Here's the long list of reasons about things that are still to come in the future that, that could bring me joy. That's what, what hope is. I have hope in that way. And if we don't have those things, if we, we start losing those things, and there's, there's nothing in the future that we, we anticipate joy from, we start to feel hopeless or, or, or distraught or despairing. And that is an awful and dangerous and scary place to be. If we lose hope, we could, we could lose a lot. So on the, the world would tell us, eh, you know what, just, just be, be optimistic. Be the positive thinking, right? That'll change things. Just, just look on the bright side of whatever you think you're, you're losing and that, that'll, that'll get you through. Is, is optimism the same thing as hope? Biblically, no. No. And here's why. The optimist, you know, sees, you know what I mean, sees the glasses half full type person, right? The optimist chooses to see in any circumstance, no matter how broken it may be, that they can, it can still work out for the best. That's an optimist, right? So the optimist looks at cancer and says, yeah, it can be defeated. The optimist looks at a job loss and says, yeah, there's another one out there for you. The optimist looks at the attic and says, yeah, yeah, you can quit. And, and believe me, those are, those are good things to believe. And God, God very well can do those things. I am an optimist to a fault, my wife tells me. She's just a pessimist, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> She's a realist. She's a realist. That's what she would say if she was standing right here. It's not a bad thing to be an optimist, but it is not the same thing as biblical hope. Optimism is not the same thing as hope. So there's another piece I want to put on there. It's not the same thing. To have optimism is to believe the circumstances can and will change. To have hope is to believe in a person, namely God. Our hope is not in a circumstance changing. Our hope is in an eternal God who has secured every victory forever, but makes no promises of your circumstances changing in your lifetime. We have a far greater hope than just things being prettier for the next 50 years of your life. Praise God! That would be a terrible thing to hope in because it would still end. Optimism begs to be defeated at every failure and every funeral. But hope in God will never be defeated. Ever. And that's what I want my kids to know and your kids, and our kids. There is a greater hope than just things being rosy for a little while on this earth. Praise God. We have an eternal hope in Christ. That's what we want to pass along to the next generation. 
We have an eternal, reliant, somebody who has promised He has come and will come again. We can stand firm on that. The, the metaphor throughout the Psalms that, of describing God is He is a firm rock beneath our feet. The shifting sands of our culture will not give your kids anything they can stand upon. No amount of optimism, no amount of medical advance, as good as it may be, is a rock you can stand on because it will pass away. But our God will not. He is the one you can trust in. He is the one who can give you hope, reliance, faith, trust forever and ever. And the reason we hold on to that is because of Christ. Because of Christ. He is the object and the source of our faith. He is our reliance and our hope. Psalm 42 and 43 are this, this pair of psalms where things are not going well. He, he says things like, My tears have been my food day and night. That's a tough place to be, is it not? Day and night. Why do I go on mourning? He says, Because of the oppressors of my enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. There's a deep woundedness there. But there's this refrain three times in those two psalms. And here's what that refrain is. It's him speaking to himself. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall praise Him, my salvation and my God. There it is. Just like Psalm 78. Hope in God. Our hope is not that the adversaries are going to stop taunting. It's not even necessarily that the tears are going to stop. But it's that God is in control. And God is with us. And you may say, well, that's just, that's just, you're just rephrasing the optimism that the world says. You're just picking a different word. You're just putting hope in place of optimism and saying, yeah, it's going to be fine, just longer. No, 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 it's different. And here's why. The resurrection. The resurrection. Jesus proved once and for all, and this is what's captured over and over again in the New Testament, hope is tied to the resurrection. Twice Peter does this. First Peter 1, 3, he does it more, but here's twice. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Or again, 1 Peter 1, 20, 21. And He, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You know why we can stand firm on the, the, the rock-solid uh, nature of God and say that our hope is sure and eternal? It's because there's a tomb that's still empty. Amen. Jesus is alive. Amen. And He has promised that for all who believe in Him, you too will live forever with Him. And you know the beauty of hope? It's forward-facing, right? It's anticipating joy that's to come. But it is grounded in what's already accomplished in the past, what God has already done. He, we, we, don't, we get despairing when we say, God has let me down this time and this time and this time in our little, our little world. Just back up. Which is why we have to teach the Bible. Why we have to teach the story of God. To see the whole perspective and see God's faithfulness generation after generation. 
any one life, any one generation, yeah, we experience lots of turmoil, lots of letdown. But if we can zoom out, we'd see God's nature and we can see an empty tomb. We know that because of the past, because of what Christ has accomplished in the past, we can have hope for the future, which changes everything about how we live now, does it not? When you have hope for the future, it gives you a reason to wake up today. It gives you a reason to, to live and a mission. It gives you a purpose. And one of those is to tell the next generation about the glory of God and call them to set their hope in Him. The empty tomb, the defeat of death, a promise that we too will be with Him for, forever, all been accomplished by Him. That's what gives us hope that's what I want my kids to know. That's what I want our kids to know. That's what I want Nathan to proclaim to the students week in and week out and to Fountain Inn and Simpsonville and Lawrence and Gray Court and to the ends of the earth. That's what I want us as parents to tell the next generation. That's what I want us to model and to live out because we serve a glorious God. And I want to spend our lives telling it to anybody who will listen, but especially to the next generation. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for our kids. Thank you for the little feet that run throughout this building and knock stuff over and spill messes. Thank you for their love of life, for the way they love one another, the way they care so much about their friends. God, thank you for our students who are making impacts in their schools and living for you on ball fields and in locker rooms. God, thank you for students who are praying about next steps and futures and how they can make a difference in this world for your kingdom with their unique sets of gifts. God, we praise you for our kids, for our students, for our young adults. God, we pray that as a whole church, we would be deeply invested in passing along what matters more than anything else, which is your glory, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, as we've just seen in your word, our ultimate goal is something we can't accomplish, and it, it's overwhelming at times. And God, I just, I just ache for every parent in this room, for, for, for all those who have everything going for them. God, it can be so hard for us to, to, to even know where to start to teach our children. But God, my heart especially aches for those who don't have everything going for them, for single parents, for families where, where, where fathers aren't leading. God, we as fathers, we repent. And so God, I pray for all of us as parents, God, that you would bring a, a word of encouragement to our hearts even now. God, that we would be reminded of the faith family that's sitting around us in this room that cares about our kids, cares about our students. God, bring them to faith. Bring them to a deep, abiding hope in you. God, we know that's something only you can do. And so we trust you with it. And that's Jesus' name. It's this in Jesus' name. Amen.